Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, happy Father's Day again. Let's try that again. Happy Father's Day. Hey, so if you've been with us, you know that I've been preaching through a sermon series from the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're actually going to take a hiatus from that this morning, and I'm going to preach a Father's Day sermon based upon Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Now, before I jump into the sermon, I did want to mention that the shirt that I'm wearing is a Father's Day present that my kids gave me about eight years ago. And I love this shirt. And the issue is, I didn't get to wear it much in the last 18 months because there were no in-person sports to speak of at UVA. But today, at 2 o'clock, the UVA baseball team is in the World College Series. That's important to make mention of. So, kids, if your dad wants to stay home from 2 to 4 today, it's Father's Day. He gets to watch what he wants on television. That's just how it works on Father's Day. I thought the men would cheer and it was dead silence. (laughs) But what I am keenly aware of as we think about Father's Day and Father Abraham, I'm keenly aware of the following. Not everyone has a positive sense towards Father's Day. I know this. I know that some of us struggle when we think about fathers or fatherhood Father's Day. I know that, and for many different reasons. I know last year, Father's Day, was the first time I actually struggled. I'm the father of three children. But on Father's Day, I had joy because I'm a dad of three wonderful kids, but also sorrow because my dad had passed away last year, March 19th, and he was one of my heroes. I know what it's like to think of Father's Day and have some sense of tension about this day. But what I also know is that biblically speaking, through the life of Father Abraham, God calls us as men to some very specific things. Not every man is a father, but I do believe that every man can be challenged by and learn from the life of Father Abraham. Now, how many of you know the children's song, Father Abraham? Do you know the kid's song? It goes something like this. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. And then it goes right arm, left arm. Anyone want to stand up and demonstrate the kid's song? It's literally dizzying if you do it. (laughs) By the end, you have right arm, you're pumping left arm, you're nodding, you're kicking both legs and spinning around, and that just takes way too much energy for me to do up front. But what's interesting to note is most of us know about Father Abraham from the song. We don't know much about him. As a matter of fact, we have a lot of people who are newer to faith here at City, and they don't know anything about Abraham at all, but maybe have heard that song. Before we kind of move past the song, though, I looked up, just out of sake of research, to find out about the song. 
The song Father Abraham was written by Petrus Antonius Laurentius Kartner. Let me say that again. Petrus Antonius Laurentius Kartner. He's a Dutchman, and he goes by the name in, in the entertainment world as Vader or Vader Abraham. That's his stage name. Wouldn't you change your stage name or to get a stage name if your name was Petrus Antonius Laurentius Kartner? By the way, in short, he's a Dutchman and he's known as Pierre Kartner, and here's a picture of him. This is his picture. Because his stage name was Vader Abraham, he wrote a song about it. But you know what he's most famous for? In 1970, he's written over 1,600 songs. And he was commissioned by a TV show called The Smurfs to write the theme song. And in 1977, he wrote the theme song to The Smurfs, and then he started a little side business called Cartner's Smurf Works, and they sold over 17 million albums. By the way, this Vader Abraham is wealthy, quite wealthy, because he knew Smurfs. Now... As we look at our text, we're going to discover some things about Father Abraham. I've mentioned often that my dad is one of my heroes. When I was young, I thought my dad could do anything. Many people believe Father Abraham was perfect, and he wasn't. We're not going to talk in depth about his shortcomings, but they're clearly given to us in the Bible. But I remember the day that it dawned on me my father couldn't do everything. So my dad, German descent, won't throw anything away. Nothing. And if it can be fixed, we're keeping it, even if it takes multiple hours to get it fixed, it would actually be cheaper to go buy it new. Anyone ever have a dad like that? In other words, I straightened five-gallon buckets of nails we would pull barns apart and I would straighten the nails to the point where there were five gallon buckets of nails. By the way, when they le we left the farm, they were still there. Anyhow, you can't throw anything away. That's my point. I remember I was probably the age seven or eight and my dad was fixing. We had a lot of pressurized tanks on the farm. And my dad and my oldest brother, Fred, were welding and they were fixing a pressurized tank. And they were there working on it for a long time, and I was standing back kind of learning how to weld and watching, and they were working on it and get everything going, soldering and doing all the other stuff. Then all of a sudden, my dad took out a screwdriver, and he just punctured the, the whole pressurized thing and said, it can't be fixed. We're going to throw it away. I can remember that moment to this day. Literally, A, he said, throw it away. That's rare. And then the other thing was, my dad... I finally realized couldn't do everything. He couldn't. And it stunned me because my dad always was so superhuman to me. And finally, there was something that he admitted he couldn't do. He was never proudful or boastful. It was just my image of him. And when I was seven or eight watching him stick a screwdriver into that pressurized tank and say it can't be fixed and needs to be thrown away, it was something that just always stuck in my mind. It was like the dawning of something about my dad. The truth of it is, is this morning we're going to take just a few brief moments to look at Abraham. 
We're going to learn some things about his life. But men, I want to challenge you. What we're going to talk about from the life of Abraham is extremely serious. What we know biblically is this, is that after the Tower of Babel, humankind was running amok again. We see that after creation. We see that after Noah's flood. And here we are after Noah's flood and all of the disobedience and people living outside of God's best finds its culmination in the Tower of Babel. That's Genesis 11. It's Genesis chapter 12 where we meet a guy who apparently or seemingly out of nowhere, God reaches down and he taps this guy and he says, Abraham, I want to have a personal relationship with you. A personal relationship. God's never had one of those up until this point. He's going to have a personal relationship with Abraham. But not only that, God says to him, Abraham, not only will I be your God and you will be mine, but from you will come a great nation. And I want that nation to bless all the peoples of the world. God says to Abraham, from you will come a people. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make that nation a great nation. But it should never stop with you. It's for all people. Now we see that call of God come to, in Genesis chapter 12. And it's called the call of Abraham. I want to read it for us. Here's what the text says. Now remember this, it's right after the Tower of Babel. People are living in full rebellion. God scatters the people all over the earth. And then now God out of nowhere chooses Abram. He later is renamed by God, Abraham. Here's what the text says. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. What we see in the biblical record is that God comes to Abram and in the call for Abram to personally know God and have a personal relationship with God, here's what God says to him. If this is going to work, you must leave your father, your father's house, and your father's land. And oh, by the way, in the ancient world, that's where all your security comes from. It comes from your relationship with your dad, what he owns, and his household. That's what gives you a place in the world. That's where you get your identity from. That's where your security comes from. And God shows up to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to be mine. I will be yours. But I'm going to call you to leave your security, and I want you to find it in me. And what's stunning is Abram says yes. 
And can you picture that conversation? He goes to his dad and says, Dad, guess what? I'm leaving. Where are you going? I don't know. Why are you leaving? A God appeared to me. And you have to understand, Abram has no clue who this God is. God appears to him and says, Abram, come follow me. And Abram says, yes. And he says to his dad, I'm following a God. And, and his, his dad says, we already have gods. We have idols all over the place. Just pick one. He said, no, that's not how it's going to work. And can you picture that conversation? And oh, by the way, son, where are you going? I don't know. But the God that called me will show me. When I get there, I'll know. And the text tells us that Abram takes the journey and he trusts God and he gives up his security and his identity that was found in his father's home. And as a man, he walks with God for himself. It's a personal relationship with God. Now what's interesting to take note of is that God calls Abram in Genesis 12 What I want to do very quickly, just to continue to set the stage, is read from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, which tells us the culture in which Abram lived. It's the culture that built the Tower of Babel. I want us to read it quickly. Here's what the text tells us. It says in Genesis 11, remember, we just read from Genesis 12. Here's what the text says in Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build, a, build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. And the next phrase is everything. So that... We may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So here's the culture from which God calls Abraham. It's a culture where everyone's worried about their legacy, their name, and making their name great. Now, for some reason, God in Genesis 12 chooses Abraham. Why? All of the other patriarchs of faith, like Noah and the others before him, the scriptures tell us clearly, Noah was picked because he was the most righteous man of his time. God picked him. But the text never overtly tells us why God chooses Abram. But there's a reason. And the reason's found at the end of Genesis 11. And as we continue to set the stage for who Abraham is, we discover at the end of Genesis 11, Abram's lineage is given to us. And in that lineage, there's one verse that stands out because it says he married Sarai. He married Sarai, and here's what the Bible says about Sarai. It's Genesis 11.32. Here's what it says. Now Sarai, and I put Abram's wife, that's not in the Hebrew, I added that, Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, was what? Childless, because she was not able to conceive. That's fascinating. Do you know what the rabbis teach? That Abram married her anyway. That in a world where every man was worried about his legacy, 
and his name and making his name great and extending his family line because remember, all security comes from your dad, your father's house, and all of the above. What Abram does is completely different than everyone else that's living around him. In the culture of the Tower of Babel, everyone's making their name great. And God is looking down for a man that he can entrust himself to, to step into a personal relationship through which there will be a people that will live totally differently than the culture around them. And God looks down and sees a man who out of kindness and love and generosity, he marries a barren woman. He's living differently. He's living out of love. He's living out of generosity and care and concern for others. And when God sees that, he says, that is someone I can build a kingdom through. So he chooses Abram. And the text tells us that Abram and Sarai, when they begin to take this journey, Abram is 75 years old. When the call of God comes and Abram looks at his father's household and he looks at all of that security, he and Sarai, and the text tells us again that she is barren, they begin to follow God and trust him. Now we have to remember that when God comes to Abram, he makes him the promise. And the promise is this. Go from your country from your people and your father's household to a land I will show you. Abram and Sarai follow God. But remember God's promise to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. Abram, you never worried about your name and because you didn't, I chose you and I am the one that will make your name great. Follow me. Trust me, and if you do, all the peoples of the world will be blessed because of you. And the text tells us that Abraham went as the Lord called him. But the next phrase that we read earlier in Genesis 12, 4 says this, and Lot went with him. Verse 5 says he took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot. What you can't tell from the text is this, is that he took Lot out of a lack of trust. He knew God promised from him would come a people. But he looked at his wife Sarai and she was unable to conceive. God called him, not Lot. But he took Lot with him because he wasn't fully trusting. And if you know the story of Abraham and Lot, Lot caused Abraham a whole lot of problems. Pun intended. The idea here is, is that even Abraham, who was the father of faith, was someone that wrestled with fully trusting God. But here's what he was faced with, that his wife Sarai was childless because she was unable to conceive, and yet God promised him, had promised him that from him would become a nation not just a nation, but a group of people that was so much walking with God that all of the world would be blessed through him. Now, 
When I think about my own dad, and I think about some of the things that impacted me in my life from him, I think about a parable my dad told me when I was young. My mom told me a poem, my dad told me a parable. So I'm going to tell you the poem that my mom taught me first. There once was a man named Kent, or from Kent, whose nose was horribly bent, and wherever he chose, no, wherever he, oh, I'm sorry, let me start over. There once was a man from Kent whose nose was horribly bent, and every day he chose to follow his nose, and no one knows where he went. I have no idea what the moral of that is, but my mom was born and raised in England, and that's a poem she taught us. I'm assuming there's a moral. Mom, I'll check with you later. My dad, on the other hand, taught us a parable. He taught this to me. He told a story, and he told it as though it was true. He said, Pete, I want to tell you a story. He said, there was a man that had three boys. Well, that's kind of familiar because I have two older brothers. He said, there was a man who one day found a stray dog. And he took in the stray dog, and the boys loved the dog. And the boys grew very fond of the dog, and the dog integrated into their family. And some months later, there was a knock at the front door, and there was a guy standing there, and he said, I hear you found a dog. And the dad said, well, can you describe the dog? And the guy described the dog perfectly that was in their home. Well, the dad kind of had the door cracked open and his two sons were behind him and the man looking for the stray dog described the dog perfectly and the dad with his three sons behind him looked at the man and said, sorry, that dog is not the dog you're looking for, the dog we found. The dog looks totally different. And the parable ended this way. On that day, that man gained a dog but lost three sons. He lost them that day. It was a parable. Now listen, here's what's fascinating. Abraham never teaches. He's the father of faith, and he never gives a teaching, ever. There's no recorded teaching of Abraham. You know what teaches? Is his life. His life is what taught a people what it looks like to follow God by faith. Men, I want us to think about this. What about our lives? What about our lives? Because Abraham's life is what taught. There's no recorded teaching, which is stunning. You would think that the father of the Israelite Jewish faith would have a teaching, and he doesn't. It's all his life and what's recorded in five or six chapters found in the book of Genesis. That's what it looks like to follow God, and it's his life. Men... What about ours? Now, as we look at our story and we bring it towards a close, what we discover is, is that if you were to read in the book of Genesis, that Abram has had Lot in his life and Lot has caused him a lot of trouble. So there comes a point after the events of Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot is rescued by Abram and Abram, according to God's will, and you could read about this in Genesis, finally, Abram gives Lot up. He finally lets him go. And when he does, he's almost the age of 99. So the journey begins at 75. 
Now he's 99, and he finally lets Lot go. He had brought him so that there would be another way to work out God's will, and he finally lets Lot go. And when he does, in Genesis 15, 1 through 7, the scripture tells us that then God shows up again. And here's what God says to Abram, and I want all of us to read it. It's the Lord's covenant with Abram. Here's what he said. After this, after Lot has now left, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. I want you to notice what declared Abram is righteous. He was declared righteous because he believed the Lord. As we put feet to our faith as men, there are a couple challenges that we have. And it's this. Abram was called by God to leave his father, his father's household, and his father's country. Men, Abram's life teaches us that a faith journey means that our hope and our trust and our identity comes from God. The next thing that we see in Abram is that Abram made a choice to do something out of love and kindness in a culture where everyone was worried about themselves. What a challenge that is. Men, As we follow God, the challenge of our lives is to not live like culture, but live like people of faith. Abram married Sarai when she was barren. People of faith make choices that on surface don't look like it ought to look. And yet we have a God that if we will listen and follow the leading of the Spirit, we can find that we will live a life that will bless others around us. Our calling is not to make our name great. Our calling in faith is to make his name great. And we are concerned about living as people of faith, people who will trust God even when it doesn't make sense, people that will believe in God even when those around us can't understand. And again, the story closes where the text tells us, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Let's stand together. As we stand together, 
We're going to take just a moment to worship. And as we worship, especially men, ask ourselves the question, am I about making my name great? Have I learned how to lay that down? Have I learned how to trust God wholeheartedly? Or am I holding back? Is there a lot in my life, something that I'm hanging on to, that I know proves that I'm not trusting God fully? God, help us to be men on this Father's Day who are men of faith like Abram.